Anita, how's your mental health? <laughs> Questionable <laughs> at all times. You know this. Yeah. How's the mental health of your children? Um, also a little bit tricky. Can I tell you my experience in trying to find therapists for myself and my kids, Mel? Yes, please. Okay. This is how it goes. You ask around your friends and your family for a referral for somebody who's nearby. You finally find somebody who sounds like they might work for your family. You give them a call and you find out that A, they're not accepting new patients or B, they have a huge wait list. So you start over again and you ask people if they know anybody who would be a good therapist and a good fit. Finally, you find one, you go and you meet with them and you figure out that you don't actually like them that much. But it's been so much work to find somebody who you can go to in your area that you're kind of stuck with them. Well, do you have any ideas for how to get around this? Um, I do, because guess what? I've actually had some therapists that I have found on my own, which involves what you're saying. Sometimes I remember one time I was like three hours in the bathtub on my phone looking through yeah. websites. I was such a prune at the end. But I have also had the experience with working with BetterHelp and it was like, I, I don't want to say too good to be true, but because it is true, but it's like amazing because I was matched with my therapist within 24 hours. And you didn't have to go through all of that other ridiculous process of trying to find somebody. And here's the cool thing too, is if that person didn't work out for you, you can just switch and say, and it's not like you're committing to another years long search for somebody who you're going to jive with. It's true. And I lucked out or maybe just BetterHelp is really good at matching people together because I never had to change my therapist. I loved her. Perfect fit for me. And I know that some of our friends have used BetterHelp and they've had to change therapists and boom, same day can change. Easy peasy. You can ghost your therapist. <laughs> Get a new one. I love this idea. BetterHelp is one of our sponsors. If you use our promo code, trybetterhelp.com slash WWDN, you get 10% off your first month and we totally recommend it. Yes. Get some therapy. That's <laughs> trybetterhelp.com slash WWDN. A Valentine's Day to you, Valentine's Mel. Day to you as well, Anita. Um, how has your Valentine's Day been? Well, I went, <laughs> I played at a church service and it was early and I don't remember much of it because I was tired. And then. How early? Well, early for me. Okay. I was going to say it wasn't like 6 a.m. It was probably like 9. Well, I had to leave my house at 8. That's hard for me. I understand. I'm this not, is not position not time. A hard time. Thank you. Anyway, we got done with that and then I decided that I needed to get tons of plants and for some reason <laughs> this is okay I have been staying away from stores through the whole pandemic because I know what's gonna happen my brain needs stimulation and when I go to Target or I go somewhere else then I end up spending hundreds of dollars a million dollars and today you spent a million dollars spent three hundred dollars just on plants and my justification was well Scott's dead and if he were here he would buy this for me I'm buying it for myself do you think he would have bought you plants, though, or would he have bought you something that you didn't want? Mm, probably both. Yeah, okay. I bought myself one million pairs of socks. I bought myself one million pair of socks. And they made me happy. And they have cactus on them, right? Yes, cactuses and other things that are not cactuses. And then I wanted to buy myself more stuff today, but I didn't. 
You didn't buy any Cotopaxi luggage? No, but I was on NordstromRack.com, which is always dangerous, but I didn't buy anything. Well, we've almost survived the night, Valentine's night. Did it feel like a different day to you or did it feel like just another day? Today, for me, it feels like another day. It's so weird because Valentine's Day was never a big holiday for us. But even when I woke up this morning, it just felt like it was a different day. Like a holiday or a bad day? Like a bad day. Mm. Like, leave me alone. Everybody leave me alone kind of a day. Do you think your cells and your body can tell that it's Valentine's Day? And even if you didn't care about it before, now that you have a dead person, you care about all the things and everything is harder. Yes. Well, here's how I've been coping with Valentine's Day. All my posts have been about my dogs Mm -hmm. and how I'm in a relationship with them. Yes. I don't even care anymore. I have no shame. I don't care if anybody thinks that I'm dumb or weird. You got lots of comments that were, some of them didn't make any sense, but some of them were just mostly kind. (laughs) So I don't think people think you're crazy. I did the Valentine's Day challenge today. And? It was funny. Because did you make it about... Jason, yes. dead in the ground. I read yes. it. Yeah, like one of them was who's taller now. And I'm like, trick question, because he's horizontal, so I'm taller. But he's much longer or wider. <laughs> it's all <laughs> deeper into the ground. <laughs> it's all about your orientation to the y-axis. Mm. So there's that. Hopefully your Valentine's Day was successful, whatever that means for Whether you. it meant socks or plants. Or crying or laughing or nothing. Or gifts for your kids or Costco flowers for yourself. Or costumes for your dogs. Or what have you. Whatever you desired. We had so much fun with our Valentine's Day shebang over Zoom. So thank you to all who came and... Uh, humored us as we wrote or responded to our new dating profiles yeah anita had some great mad libs (laughs) for those of you who missed it we hope you can join the next one whenever that may be yes we had a good time and we had more people than we ever had before so it got our minds thinking about how to change things up for next time and how to make it work for more people yeah and stop dying people i know It's always fun to see people make connections. Totally. That's my favorite part about it. Um, Has anything exciting happened this week? I feel like I've seen you a lot of times this week, so. Okay, I have not had any deaths except for Chick Corea, the innovative jazz pianist, who, of course, was not my close personal friend. So the grief is definitely not the same as my friend a couple weeks ago and my husband. But (laughs) so this week was manageable for me, but. I can tell my brain has just been through so much shock. It's just trying to recover. That's what's hard about it. I was telling my mom today, I'm like, mom, I think my brain is stretching. It's like a piece of taffy. You pull it more and more and more and you get more and more frayed. Because now I was thinking about this. What's, What's the difference between how I'm feeling now versus how I felt right after Scott died? And I didn't have any anxiety after Scott died. Because my brain was so broken, it was just in the moment. So I couldn't think of the past. I couldn't think of the future. I just was like, I'm here. Let's eat Lucky Charms. (laughs) Let's suffer right now. Yeah. So I I mean, of course, I was very sad, but I didn't feel anxiety. Now that I'm a couple of years out and I'm trying to take a lot of baby steps to like working, just doing regular work and doing all these things that take little steps to kind of get back into it compounds. And so 
I'm always trying to be mindful of not doing too much so that I can self-care, but doing enough that I'm being productive. And it's hard. Anita, I don't even know how I, I feel like at the end of the day, I'm always looking for a black and white answer. Always. I know. And it's never going to be that way. And I know that. So why? Counsel me. <laughs> Do you guys feel like that? Any listeners? Please tell us. I feel like that's life in general is trying to find the balance between being nice to yourself and motivating yourself and being like, I can do better or I need to do more, but also I don't hate myself and be nice to yourself. So yeah. And interesting. we love all those five steps to success that we see on Instagram. Guys, that's like a tactic for marketing. And so it's easy for it to get in our brains that if we just do these five things for whatever it is, it's going to be fine. And it's really an ongoing process and cyclical. So I'm, I don't want to say the word struggling because that sounds like my life's hopeless, but I'm grappling with it, I guess. Maybe that's the word. Grappling with my brain is very tired and I'm trying to kind of get back. You're trying to find your, your Mel's trying to get her groove back. Trying to get my groove back. Yeah. I didn't. Okay. I've never heard of this chick Korea fellow. What? I know. I'm not surprised. I bet our new widower friend Dennis knows. Probably. And I know Marie knows. The only reason I even know any of his songs is because I watched you play one of them on your YouTube channel. Oh, yes. La Fiesta. Yes. Thanks for listening. You're sure welcome. You're such a good supportive widow wife. I know. I even left a comment. I know. You're (laughs) You're welcome. so good. It's because you know that right now I'm all obsessed about people commenting (laughs) on our Instagram or on our giving us reviews whatever this yeah people commenting on the podcast and um giving us a rating and review so i'm in the mode mel to help you out thank you you want to talk about something that happened to me today that's kind of sensitive and might get me in trouble yeah i know what this is right yes mel gave me big eyeballs because she knows what it's about i'm surprised we're talking about this we might have to delete it all after we get done though (laughs) Let's see how Okay, it goes. let's see. Okay. So, today, my little sister got engaged. So, she's been waiting for it. They went ring shopping. She knows he's had the ring, and he has just been waiting to, like, pop the question. And I even felt very sure it was going to be today. Because it's Valentine's Day, and, of course, you propose on Valentine's Day. Of course you do. But I was surprised at my reaction when she actually told me. And what was it? It was really conflicted. Let's talk about it. I know. But here's the thing. This is this is like my disclaimer because my family will listen to this and they'll be like, Anita, you're such a jerk. Or like, how could you feel this way? In my my thinking brain and in my loving of my sister brain, I want to be so happy for her. But as soon as she told me the news, all I could think was like, I don't want to talk about it. And then I was super grumpy. My kids were being loud and I was kind of like mean to them. And so then I felt bad because it's wonderful news, but I wasn't feeling wonderful about it. So you feel guilty yes. for your feeling. Yes, because my 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 logical brain and my normal intellectual broken brain is like cheering for her. But then I'm just having these feelings of grief is really what they are. Because Valentine's Day is already a hard day. And then you kind of put that on top of it where somebody else is having happiness and like a big happiness. And you're like, 
I don't want to feel happy for you. Yeah. But I do. Do you feel like your feelings overall about these kinds of things in life now that Jason is gone are muted much more so than before? Actually, I feel the opposite. What? Tell me about it. I feel like my feelings would have been more... Okay, how do I explain this? They would have been really high right in the middle, like happiness. I'm so happy for you. But now I have feelings that are on different sides of the spectrum that are like competing with each other, if that makes sense. Like Mortal Kombat, but with feeling. Hayuken! One, two, three, fight! Yes. And I hate it so much because I, I feel like, and if you're listening to this, Melanie. We love you. Don't, don't be offended. Don't. It's like, and, and I don't want people to feel, feel sorry or guilty or, you know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. oh, what should I have done differently? Nothing. Like, I am so happy for you. But at the same time, I'm having all of these feelings of sorrow and grief because the happiness that you're about to feel is the happiness that I've lost. Yeah. It's totally understandable. Now I'm going to lay my head on this desk and cry. Anita is laying down, (laughs) taking a nap, being sad. Yeah. Well. And I, the only reason I actually wanted to talk about this and I'm, I'm going to have to like pre tell my family that I talked about this is because I think that this is probably a feeling that other people have. And it's super hard to navigate because like my, my um, instinct is to not share this, to push this down, to keep this secret because I don't want to detract from her big, happy, whatever day. And we probably feel like that, all of us to some extent. But how do you, how do you deal with those feelings if, you're, if you can't let them out, if you have to squash them down? I agree with this. I think it's good that you're talking about it our whole thing is that we're pretty transparent. We try to be, but seriously, I was like, well, I don't know, because then they're going to listen to it and then they'll be like, oh, what should we have done? Or you're a jerk or, you know, you should be happy for your sister. Or I think the the moral of the story is you're, you should remember everybody says, stop shooting all over yourself. And it's hard because these feelings will come up in different forms right and I mean I guess people can have their reaction to you having a feeling but also hopefully on the other side of the spectrum they understand why you have these conflicting feelings and and can separate them it doesn't have anything to do with how much you care about your sister right and you do want her to have that because yeah yes exactly so and uh, it's probably I'm probably more worried about it going the opposite way where they're like, oh, we're so concerned about like hurting your feelings or making you sad that we're going to stop sharing or try to be more sensitive. And that's not my goal either. I want to be part of that happiness. It's just something that I have to probably work through feeling-wise and let myself feel those feelings and and understand that I can have both those feelings. Yeah. You know, it's the and. The and the, instead and of the but. The, the, <laughs> The yes. big butt. It's the and, not the butt. Oh, feelings. Thank you for sharing, Anita. I am confident that many of our listeners feel the same way and are glad that you shared it. If you think that this was good, Anita shared it, <laughs> please give us a rating and a review so it helps her feel better. So unless you I, have already. So that I can like feel happy about that and not about offending every person 
in my family. I don't think that I just, yeah. Okay. It's going to be fine. It is going to be fine. All is going to be cool. I have a hard time when people who have not been widowed are dating and they want to tell me about their dating life. Mm. I would rather stab myself in with a-, a croquet stick that is in my throat specific. and twist it. <laughs> I don't want to talk about their dating. Really? Yeah. Interesting. I don't know if I've had a lot of people want to talk to me about dating. So I don't know if I have that experience. Mm. But it's kind of this, it's kind of the same thing where you're like, I don't want to hear about the thing that I had that's gone. Yeah. Or, or that I don't want to ever experience again. Yes. Or or people's drama where I guess it's because all day, every day, I'm constantly making goals and rewriting my goals, like for even little tiny things like can I get out of bed today? Can I go to the store today? What are my tasks? Like even Can simple I things? spend less than $300 on plants today? On the one time that I leave my house in a month. <laughs> yeah. And so when when certain things are in a different category, I guess, that are other people's drama and they're bringing it to me, like it's mine to take care of. Mm. I also want to stab people. Do you say it's, no? I'm a no drama llama. No, but I should start just saying that. I like that. We just unloaded all sorts of heavy stuff and hopefully we're okay. Yeah. No. Hope you all survived Valentine's. Hope it was yeah. benign if it if if anything. If anything. No, it's it's awesome when you can hope for benign. Yeah. Um mine was benign, I would say. You would say it was benign? Yeah. I would say mine was like just south of benign. Like it wasn't terrible, but I could definitely feel that something inside me was sad and was mourning what could have been. We're going to pivot to our patrons now. Because there are true Valentines. Yes. We love them. We're making a heart. With our hands. With you our cannot hands see. to them. So first we're going to start with our dead husbands because they are amazing. And, uh, kind of but they're not actually. They're zombies. <laughs> These people are alive. The first we have is David Kelly. Then Kat, who is so famous that she only goes by Kat, like Cher. Ivan Meisner. Katie Koontz. Don Satterwhite. Our secret patron that wants to say, keep a going, widows. Thank you to our dead husbands. Next, we'll move on to our widow wives and widow besties. Sarah Morris. Danielle Catterberg. Rad Rachel Barbosa. Karen Cornejo, the multitasker. Sylvia, Mel's mom. Jenny Taylor. Ashley Hahn. It's Ashley Han. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Ashley Han. Han. Amy Sapp. Diana Becker. Christine Anderson. Jenny Barrow. Aaron Posick. Gabe Lozano. Anna Tracy. Ileana Bella Ruiz. Your mom. Kara Scara. Black Wendy. Marjorie Lewis. The eternal bearer of bad news. Jamie Aliota. Shannon Helm. Christina Scambato. The fancy lady. Emily Thornton. Lori Farrington. Lori Hoffman. Tammy Schwartz. And Valerie Jonathan Hacker. Another green slip for you. Sometimes we assume that unless we had a huge life insurance payout, we don't really need to know anything about investments or even finances. But guess what? A little knowledge of finances is critical for all of us. 
Maybe your partner was in charge of that stuff and now you find yourself making all the decisions. Maybe you're mad about that. Maybe I am. Nicole from the He's Gone But The Money's Not podcast is here to help. She tackles financial literacy by telling the stories of women and widows and finance experts and shares the lessons they've learned as certified financial planners. Whether you know a lot and feel confident in your financial decisions or feel unsure about all of that stuff, there is more to learn. Listen and subscribe to the He's Gone But The Money's Not podcast on all podcast platforms. This ad was paid for by Rock House Financial, an SEC-registered investment advisor. That is odd. Thank you to everybody who supports our podcast. You're the best. And that is the truth. And if any of our listeners would like to also become a patron, sign up at patreon.com slash WWDN. And there is also a link in the show notes. And if you are interested in making a one-time donation, you can buy us a taco at buymeacoffee.com slash widow we do now okay let's get to our episode i'm super stoked i'm anita i'm mel we're just two young widows being sad on valentine's day but also a little not sad being benign on valentine's day and spending too much money on valentine's day and having feelings on valentine's day and we're trying to figure out widow Widow, we we do do now. now Mel, can I tell you who we're interviewing today? Yep, I'm super stoked. This is Lauren. Lauren. Lentz. Actually, it's just Lauren. <laughs> yeah, but let me tell you where I found her. Tell us. She was in a tree and she was like crying. This is not true. Okay. So, uh, Lauren, I first um, came upon her when she was the widow of the week for the Hot Young Widows Club. And her story resonated with me because we had some similarities, but also some really big differences, but a little bit of similarities. So I started following her after that. Um, and then when we were starting to schedule, I was like, I want to talk to her. So we reached out and she said yes, without knowing what she was getting herself into. So welcome. Thank you. Thank you both for having me again. I just really, really appreciate it. It's an honor. Oh, thanks. Tell us, tell us where you're um, recording from or where you're coming. Uh, Yeah, I am in Vista, California, San Diego County. I'm coming to you from a bedroom. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, yeah, no, typically our weather's amazing, but it has been like coming down lately. We've had like super hot weather, then super cold. It hailed the other day. They said there was a tornado that touched down somewhere in Oceanside. It's been so so it's like the end right. of the world. Pretty much. I mean, honestly, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, a, that's amazing. Aren't we used to all of that by now, I know. you guys? I know. I just feel like, is everything ever going to be normal again? And then the answer is no. It's going to be less normal. It's just going to get weirder and weirder and weirder. And nobody will ever feel comfortable with their life again. <laughs> okay. Lauren, tell us a little bit about yourself. You told us a little bit before we started recording, but what do you do? What's your family like? All that kind of stuff. Yeah, I am a second grade teacher. I've been teaching for nine years. um, And I have a little two-year-old and live close to both uh, Kevin's family and my family. Um, We're super tight-knit and just have an amazing community nearby. I have a second grader right now. So do you want him? Uh, Oh, absolutely. I totally can take him. (laughs) Although I'm not teaching virtually anymore, so that might get complicated. (laughs) 
they're not doing they're not we're not doing virtual either and yesterday we had to do a math assignment and seriously I had to use all the patience in my entire body to try and get through this math assignment oh my gosh and I swore a few times and it was awful yeah um the math is bonkers these days I taught fourth grade for a while and no joke I'd come home and be like Kevin please break this down for me because he was a general (laughs) contractor so he would like literally like start helping me with fractions and all and writing it out I'm like okay I can so funny Oh, man. Well, Kate, here's an, this is so not important, but sort of important. Are all of your students super behind uh, right now? They're not. Say yes. Um, just lie to me. Well, you. I would say uh, more than usual. So you still okay. have your, you're still going to have some of those kids regardless that just kind of learn naturally and progress naturally. But um, this year, more than any other year, I have seen a, a really large gap between the kids that struggle and the kids that, you know, just get mm-hmm, it. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Yeah. Really tough oh, time. Okay. I am like, I'm sorry, you're going to have to survive with a second and a fifth grade education because <laughs> this is where it ends. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So sorry about that. No, they'll, they'll yeah. still, they'll do great. Just probably. <laughs> That's what I keep having to tell yeah. myself. Okay. Lauren, why, why don't you give us the, the little synopsis of how you became a widow? Yeah. Yeah. So this is actually kind of fun and uh, serendipitous. If you would like to think that or believe that I was living in Santa Barbara, California in 2010, and I was deciding to come home to actually uh, complete my teaching credential. And so I had come down in the spring of 2010 and down as to San Diego. So I'd come down to check things out and figure out if I want to be a teacher and went out with a girlfriend who happened to be in town as well. We were out at the bars in Encinitas and having a drink. And one of my friends like, oh, let me take a picture of the two of you. So he takes a picture of us. And these two guys jump in the background of our picture. And I'm like a little intrigued because they're both cute. But at the same time, I'm annoyed. because I'm like, oh, who does that? You know, we're like in our mid-20s. And so I turned around and I introduced myself to the two guys. And I like... I'm drawn to one of them and I say, well, I might as well get your name because you're going to be in my picture for the rest of my life, right? And fast forward, the night goes on. We flirted for a little bit, moved on. And then I moved home from Santa Barbara in the summer of 2010 and I was single and every single person I knew, all my girlfriends like, I have this guy for you and this guy for you. I'm like, I am not about that right now. I'm totally fine with where I'm at in life. And I'd gone out to have a happy hour drink with my girlfriend, Jen. And she was like, do you mind if my husband comes to have a drink with us? I'm like, yeah, absolutely. So, uh, he comes and has a drink and, um, he brings his friend, Kevin, that they had trying to introduce me to and I was like oh you guys had duped me but I was so sad about it because he had this beautiful smile it was definitely intriguing uh so Kevin and I got to know each other for a couple months he was actually pretty shy and if you knew him you would not gather that from him but he was shy and he finally got around to asking me out like a month or two after we had been introduced and we hit it off and um fell for each other pretty quickly. And I had posted a picture after all this on my Facebook account or something. And my girlfriend from the spring, when we went out, she writes me and she's like, Lauren, that guy you're dating is the dude that jumped in the back of our 
when we went out and I was like no and then I looked and it really was and so just this like wild crazy thing I'm like how who would have ever thought that, that something like that would happen so We've told that story to a lot of people. My dad talked about it at our engagement party. Um, like I said, we fell for each other really quickly, but we did not get married quickly. We uh, spent about six, six and a half years together and got married in 2016 and then had our baby boy in 2018. Oh, wow. That's so funny. Yeah. yeah. Serendipity. Right. It's a real right. thing. Yeah. Okay, so that was the good days. That was the good old days. That was the good times. Tell us about the where things went south. So um, actually in 2016, and even before 2016, my dad had introduced Kevin to cycling and mountain biking. They had kind of hit it off when we knew we started dating. And my dad was talking about you know, mountain biking. And Kevin had a lot of dirt bike experience when he was a kid. So my dad's like, Oh, let's get you out in the dirt, you know, all these things. And I'm all, that's a whole nother story, but long story short, he fell in love with mountain biking and riding the road. And in 2016, he was asked to race competitively for a mountain bike race team. And so he raced 2016 and 2017. And then in 2018, when we had our son, he took a little break And so in 2019, he decided that he wanted to get ready for the 2020 race season. And so he had been out um, getting together with all of his teammates and riding on the weekends and kind of just getting back into the groove. And on um, November 23rd, 2019, he left with a teammate. They, even though he was mountain biking, he would ride from our house to wherever they were going. And it's usually about like a 10 mile road ride, no big deal. Um, and he rode out at a place in Escondido called Daily Ranch. And they had, um, just an awesome ride. And I had text him because I actually happened to be at the coffee shop. I was finishing my master's degree and I had texted him that I was going to be late to see if he was going to be home on time, which he was notorious for not being home on time. So I text him at like 1030 and I hadn't heard back from him. Um, we had GPS on one another. And so just because of we both rode and so we like to know where we were and I checked where he was and he was at Daily Ranch in Escondido. And so didn't think anything of it and decided to pack my stuff up and head home. He said he was going to be home at 12 got home, it was 12 o'clock and he was not there. And so I took um, our son and we went and ran some errands. And when I got home, it was like two and a half hours after he was supposed to be home and I still hadn't heard from him. And I wasn't extremely worried, but um, I definitely was irritated because I was like, he knew I had stuff to do today. And where is he? Looked at the GPS and it was still in the same spot. I'm like, who do we know in Escondido? Who is he having a beer with right now? He's being so irresponsible, you know? So I text him a couple more times and then um, three o'clock came around and I just had this stomach ache and I was like, something's not right. So I called his teammate that he was with who happened to not have my phone number and he picked up the phone. He answered and I was like, hey, Mark, where are you guys? Like, it's so late. And he went silent. And then the next thing, you know, he asked me if I was with anyone. And I just remember going completely numb. Like I couldn't feel my legs, like fell to the ground. And I looked at our son right in the eyes and 
I just said, you know, tell me he's okay. Please tell me he's okay. And he didn't say anything. He said, I'm going to come over and I'm going to talk to you and I'm going to be with you. And I hung up on him and I knew, I instantly knew something had gone terribly wrong. And I called my mom and my dad just screaming like Kevin's dead. Kevin said, I know he's dead. Um, please come over. And everyone came over and it felt like hours and I'm sure it was just minutes. And, uh, his teammate Mark had told us that, um, when Kevin was riding out of the park, there were about 10 of them and Kevin and his good friend Jill had decided they were going to stop and have a snack. And the other seven guys decided that they were going to go down and meet them at the bottom of the hill. And after Kevin and Jill had their snack, they proceeded to ride out of the park uh, into like a public road and while they were riding out on the road, um, a man came around a blind curve uh, going double the speed limit on the wrong side of the road and hit Kevin, instantly killing him into a city park. It was just like, it's something that, I mean, it's just still to this day unfathomable, but like in that moment, just like there's just no way that this is real life. I mean, there was like a line of traffic. There were just tons of people around and this person decides to just bomb up a hill going you know way 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 too fast so what so was the person trying to get around the traffic and so went the other direction or you don't we don't don't know know it's actually everything's still being investigated so because of covid the trial is uh has been postponed um there's alleged there there's high suspicions that he was on under the influence so um, I think that's a combination of probably being impatient and then being intoxicated. But um, Evan was killed instantly. And if it weren't actually for calling Mark, I would not have known the um, coroner didn't come until 6 p.m. And he was killed at 11.52 a.m. because it was an investigation and because the person that killed him fled the scene. Um, There was a lot that they could not convey to us. And yeah, we, uh, Kevin's mom had to call and ask, you know, everyone to figure out like how, why aren't people talking to us about this right now? How has no one notified us that, that he's gone? That's, that's the reason that your story was so like, personal to me is that my husband got hit twice by cars. He was a like I mountain bike and cycle and my husband was also a mountain bike and cyclist and um yeah, he got hit he got hit twice by cars but didn't die and then died later. So that was kind of like stupid, but um so I am always very heightened to stories of cyclists being hit mm-hmm. by cars because that has happened to us twice in our life and it's a big it's a big deal. And Mel is always asking me um, how she can be nice to bikes for my benefit. I like that. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, there yeah. is an intolerance around cycling. Absolutely. And some of our friends, um, before I introduced Kevin into our little circle, felt very adamantly that very strongly that cyclists, you know, were kind of pompous and did their own thing. And after meeting Kevin, we've had many friends say like, oh gosh, like every cyclist I see, I think of him and I think of if it was my family and I just try to, you know, change my perspective on the whole thing. But yeah, totally. Have you heard of the, it could be me campaign? No. So it's a, it's a cyclist awareness campaign, a lady, I think her name is 
oh, I won't remember, so I'm not going to say it, but she started it. And it's basically trying to make people aware that cyclists, it could be your husband. It could be right. my husband. Right. It could be, you know, it's a person who has a family who has a life and they're not, they're not a nuisance per se. They're, you know, they're, it could be yep. me. It could be you kind of a thing. So Lauren, Anita and I, our husbands did not die at the hands of somebody else. My husband died after a tonsillectomy, like super random. And Anita's had a heart condition. So what has it been like for you to not only have your husband be dead, but it was caused by somebody? If you can answer that and want to answer that, I know that's tough. I know. No, it's, it's, it, um, and no, and I have no problem talking about it, but, um, I mean, it goes back to that whole thing about just, you never think it's going to happen to you. Right. Um, Kevin was extremely agile on the bike and I never, I was never concerned, especially when he was mountain biking about him riding. I knew he could get out of any circumstance. And so when he was killed, it was just like, trying to wrap your mind around that. And then the way that he was killed. And then you find out that our judicial system is more in line with supporting the criminal than the victim and their family. And you're dealing with all sorts of, you know, things like I thought this guy would be getting put away for life and no, come to find out like a uh, vehicular manslaughter is only six to 12 years. And you're just like, what my husband is dead, like never coming back. You stole his last breath. And you're telling me that like in six to 12 years, you could be out just skipping around and like living a life. And that's absolutely unacceptable. So there was just, Oh, grappling with that anger about that. Um, Luckily for me, I have been given a gift of not being angry towards the person who killed Kevin. I mean, I have a lot of thoughts about it, but I don't think about him often. I don't want to think about him often. Um, I don't think he deserves that space in my mind. But um, I mean, yeah, that's there. There's a lot of heaviness to it. Um, after Kevin died, I was thinking about this the other day. When I found out I can't explain it other than to say that I felt claustrophobic in my own body. I remember walking out of my house and feeling like I could not breathe, like breathing was no longer natural. And I just wanted to literally tear out of my skin. It was the, cra I mean, it sounds crazy, even just saying it out loud. But I was like, I need to rip out of this. Like, I can't be here. I don't want to be here. This is like this is not reality. This is not my life. And I felt like the walls were just like coming in on me. Um, so if that can, if that explains it at all, that's kind of that initial, that initial just shock of hearing that the love of your life is dead and that someone that it, could, it was 110% preventable. Like this never happened ever, ever, ever. How you explain that did not sound crazy to me at all. And I don't think it will sound crazy to any of the people listening either, because I think we've all felt a measure mm -hmm. of that. Like, I got to get out of here, but where's here? Like, here <laughs> right. is, it's just me. I got to, you know, I got to run away. I got to get Ugh. out of this. And there's no, there's no place to go. Yeah. You did run away, didn't you, Anita? No, I would like have. Like the next day, you <laughs> wanted to run away. No, I think that's I, what it was. I wanted to run away, but because I just had surgery myself, I was like, I couldn't. Like, I really felt like I wanted to just bolt out the door and just run and run and run and not look back. But I was not in physical condition to do that. 
So okay. yeah, does she know? Did you tell her? Anita Anita's husband died, and then she found out she had cancer. Like oh, the next God. week. Yeah, that was. I'm telling day. you <laughs> again. Cool. Like these are things that I may get to talking to you about eventually. But like anxiety after a trauma like that, and the fear of loss, or the fear of something happening to my son or myself, and then him being orphaned is like at another level. level. Yeah. Totally. So to hear that about you, I, oh goodness. I know. I was like. Um, what is going on and who, like, why? Like, what did I do? How do I repent? You know, let's make this better. Who's punking you right now? I literally, (laughs) there was a time that I, like, looked up at our ceiling. I was laying in bed and I was like, what have I done? Because all of a sudden our son had this crazy sleep regression and he's waking up every two Mm. hours. I'm grieving. I can't even, like, fathom what life has become. And I'm like, this is straight torture. Yes. Yes. I've said those words, too. I'm like, do you know this is, like, criminal of war? This is how they treat criminals of war. Right. (laughs) Like, they're torturing. Torture. Um, Yeah. I I think it's also, I don't know if it would be harder or not harder, but the the person, that it wasn't just an accident either. (laughs) It wasn't like, you know... It was something that could have been prevented because that person was not following. And that is something that was infuriating, still is infuriating to me, but it's lessened. I've kind of surrendered to it. But um, when it was called, it is called an accident, right? But you had full intentions of driving on the wrong side of the road. So it is no accident. Like if it weren't, if it wasn't Kevin, it could have been a car. It could have been a kid. It could, they were going into a city park there tons of people there and so that word accident has is it doesn't sit well with me it just like ugh, it's like sour in my mouth um I don't consider his death an accident I I do realize that the person that was behind the wheel wasn't intentionally going to kill some like he wasn't get in his car and think like today I'm going to kill someone but the thing is your your behavior and again because the trial is coming up I probably shouldn't touch too much on that but his behavior has proven over and over and over and over again because he's been in the system so many times that this wasn't just a pure accident you knew that your behavior could get you to harm someone or harm yourself that's it's just it's just heartbreaking it's beyond infuriating yeah no it is um yeah and i those those days after uh kevin died like i said the and you were anita you were mentioning that that did make sense to you feeling claustrophobic it was like i don't know for both of you but for me i didn't know the day i didn't know the time i had i had no wherewithal if it weren't for family helping take care of my son and literally putting food in front of me and water in front of me i wouldn't have been able to do it i would not have been able to do it i remember my sister saying like oh what time does he get his bottle and i'm like i don't what time is it i have no clue you know what i mean oh gosh you're yes. just your life has been pulverized i had someone tell me that it was like you'll pick up the pieces i'm like what pieces those everything's gone it's not there's nothing it's like pulverized to pick up. like literally nothing yeah. to pick up yeah, yeah, totally. I remember walking around and just being in this daze. And it, I, it probably was for months. And I just was like, what? what? 
Why? What? Mm -hmm. Huh? And the most common phrase that I would say if people were talking to me was, I don't, I don't know. Right. I don't know. And like you just said, like people had to put food in front of you. They had to put water in front of you. It's like my arms couldn't even raise up. (laughs) To do, and I didn't care either about eating. No, no, you don't care about anything. And I think that something that I didn't, <laughs> looking back, I'm laughing. It's not funny, but something that I did that I feel like <laughs> is so terrible is, you know, people are, I'm sure you both experienced this. Like people would say to me, um, what can I do to help you? And my only response that first week was bring Kevin back, bring Kevin back. Like what yeah. a terrible oh. thing to put on someone. <laughs> like now looking back, I'm like, oh my gosh, how gut-wrenching that must have been for the people asking me how they can support me. And I'm like, you have one mission and you're <laughs> and it's impossible. <laughs> Go. Because right. um, that's all I wanted. That's all I cared about. I did not care about anything else. I'm like, press rewind. Let's redo this. I want Kevin to have stayed in that morning and to pretend like none of this ever happened. I mean, it's such an out of it body experience anyways. I don't know about for you, but for, for me personally, I was like, I feel like I'm floating above everyone and I am supporting someone. Like I should be there telling my friend, like, it's going to be okay. Like I looked at myself like a friend. It was the strangest thing. It was like my brain literally couldn't connect with the truth. And so as a defense mechanism, it was floating above. And it was like, you're just supporting someone. And I had crazy thoughts like, Lauren, I think you're in a coma. Are you in a coma? And I'm like literally looking around like, okay, no, I'm touching things. Like, oh, I'm, I'm about to get into a car and drive. That's probably, you know, probably a good indicator that I'm not in a coma. But like, I mean, again, like your brain's trying to protect itself from all this trauma that it's experiencing. That, that pain, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, I had the same thoughts. And I also was like, am I is this a movie? Am I watching a movie? I'm like, have I gone into an alternate reality? <laughs> like my life is still over there. Yeah. And I've been transported over here. How do I get back to over there where my life actually mm-hmm. is? Mm-hmm. And not this part over here, because I don't like yeah. this part. And, and people would say, you know, you know, what is it? What what's how is it? What is it going? What is it going? How's it? You know, they just wanted to understand the experience. And all I could keep saying was, this is so stupid and this is so weird. Like just kept saying that over and over. This is so stupid and this is so weird. Like, cause it just didn't feel like reality. What if you found out that your life was actually a soap opera and that you are the evil twin and that you are in a coma? (laughs) That is very soap opera. I know. That is the bold and the beautiful right right there. (laughs) I think it's a good idea. Did you guys feel, did you guys feel in that first week, and I know this kind of happens after the first week too, but that it wasn't real, but then you thought he was just going to come home that night and walk through the door and be like, ha ha, that's a big joke. Just kidding. And I felt like that for the first year there. I mean, it ebbed and flowed for sure, but there were still times up until that year point where I was like, <sighs> again, and I never saw Kevin dead. So that was another piece I got to choose. And I just chose for me personally that I didn't feel that it would bring any solace to my heart and to my mind. So I chose not to see him. And so I think even that in itself, and then the story that how he died, I was just like, no, like I'm going to hear his truck pull up in the driveway and I'm going to hear his boots coming up the stairs and he's just going to be here. And it did it felt like that for sure the first couple months and then slowly but 
surely that dissipated, but it still would come back. And there were times, like I said, up to that year point where I was like, I don't know, maybe, maybe it's just, he's, oh no, he's not, he's not going to walk through the door. I still get that. I still have these like little just split second where I'm like, oh yeah, but then Jason will be home really quick. Oh no. Or like, I'll grab my phone. I'll reach for my phone. Like I've got to tell, oh no, never mind that kind of thing. So I don't know if I've told this story before, Mel, if I have, tell me it and we, we don't have to include it, but there was one day I was outside in our driveway and I don't remember what I was doing, but I looked up the street and there was a bike coming down the street and the person was wearing a jersey that Jason had and he had a beard and I stopped dead in my tracks because like my brain was not understanding. I was like, Jason is riding his bike and then that person rode into my driveway and I was just like, I can't even explain the, like, I just was like, and it was my neighbor who they had been out of the country for months and they weren't supposed to be back for another couple months. So it didn't like my brain didn't compute that it could be this other person. And they were talking to me and I was like going to throw up. And they probably thought I was a crazy person because I just was not communicating properly. (laughs) And it shook me up so much. I went inside and I had to like sit down because I was like, Jason just rode his bike into my driveway. And then it wasn't, and then it wasn't him, but oh. I had one of those at a wedding I was playing at and I was playing and I looked up and I'm like, I swear that is Scott. And I even took a picture and sent it to his um, brother and my sister-in-law and they were like, holy crap what is happening and it was like you know i was stuck there on my gig so i had to play like for hours and i just kept like staring i'm like this guy's gonna turn yeah. around <laughs> be like, and uh... think that i'm like a creepo but really and then and then it's gonna be worse because if i do talk to him i'll be like i'm sorry you just look like my dead husband yeah, yeah, is that a problem? <laughs> yeah it just shakes you up so it much yes it does oh, did you gosh. get to did you get to talk to that guy mel no i was scared okay. i do you know who <laughs> he was like, no, just some rando guest at the wedding. Oh my gosh. That's a whole other thing playing for weddings oh. when you're a widow. Like I don't recommend mm. it. I don't recommend it. You're like, have a happy marriage. I hope you don't die. I that's I can't go to weddings anymore because that's what I want to blurt out. We were slated to go to I think it was eight weddings the year that 2020. So the year after Kevin had all these wedding invites and then COVID. So we ended up going, I think I ended up going to three, but the first one was, I mean, they were all tough, but the first one was just like a month and a half after he died. And I was like, I don't even get myself here. I'm not even sure. <laughs> but yeah. I hope it was like really good friends. It was Kevin's cousin, so actually. It was Kevin's cousin. So, and my sister was able to attend as a guest and she was a huge support system for me and his parents were there. It was a beautiful wedding. And, you know, we went, we attended the ceremony and uh, we went to the reception for a little bit. We just headed home. Um, it was heavy for all of us, but it was just one of those things where I felt like I wanted to be able to witness love, even though I was in, you know, great depths of pain. I didn't want to feel, and this is just me personally, because I know a lot of other people cannot do this, but I just, I didn't want to take that away from myself and from Kevin's cousins by not attending. Well, that was, that was rather big of you, (laughs) I will say. Yeah. Good job. Um, So when I first reached out to you and we were trying to figure out scheduling, you said, um, like, those days don't work for me. I work and then this and that. And you said, sorry to be a pain. 
And I laughed out loud because I was like, oh, yeah, you're such a pain. <laughs> or you're just like a solo parent who has a two-year-old child. Right. Like, you know, right. <laughs> please drop everything and make yourself available to us. So I wanted to ask you about parenting solo. Mm. Yeah. How's that going? It's been a doozy. So... <laughs> Um, Kevin was killed when our son Lawson was 14 months old and he was kind of, our son was just going through some stuff. We had him in daycare and he was like chronically sick. I mean, literally every two weeks he was sick. So shortly after Kevin was killed, I had him tested and he ended up having, and he has an immune deficiency. Um, we're hoping it's temporary, but he's just way more prone to getting, catching everything. So there was that, that I was dealing with. And for me, him getting sick is a trigger. It makes me feel very, very helpless. So that's been a big challenge. And then he, like I told you guys in the beginning, he regressed with sleep. So, and he's still, we're, we're still, he's actually going to be, um, having a sleep study because he's just like all over the place and they're kind of wanting to confirm that it's not sleep apnea or anything more serious going on, but we are grieving. And then you, I will, I'll like lay down to this day. I'll lay down and I go to bed very early because I know he's going to be waking up and I get anxious. Like the second that I lay down, cause I'm like, okay, is he going to be awake in two hours? He'd be awake in four hours. And then on top of that, he's a toddler. So now he's two years old and you know, toddlers. And he's like half evil. So it's 1000%. And I'm stubborn and Kevin was stubborn. And now we have a little dude that is equally as stubborn running around the house. And, um, you know, I would be absolutely lying to say that it's easy. It's not easy. And it was one of the first things that I searched for when I became a widow support to help widows with, with their children. And there is such a little amount of resources out there for stuff like that. And when I reached out to his pediatrician, it was just kind of like, help yourself, you know, take care of yourself and then everything else will come. And I'm like, but I like have been thrust into this solo parenthood. I have no clue. Kevin was a phenomenal father. And like I said, I was in my master's program when he was killed. And so he was, he was literally taking on 90% of the duties. He was dropping him off at daycare. He was picking him up. He was making us dinner. He was cooking. He was cleaning. He was doing everything. And so when he died, all of a sudden, I'm still trying to finish up this master's program and I'm taking care of a child and I'm dealing with the death of my, my husband. And I'm, I'm trying to like, you know, figure out all these things. He paid the bills, all these responsibilities that really fell on him are now falling on me. And, um, I was a nasty parent. Like I 100% will admit that in the beginning I had no, my grief came through as impatience and it still does, but not nearly as bad as it did in the beginning. And I would just, no, I was proud of you for saying I was a nasty parent. No, no, I still can be. No, I still can be, but not nearly as bad as the that. beginning. And I, I mean, I literally told my mom, I'm like, this isn't okay. Like I'm screaming at a little baby and it's unacceptable behavior. And I don't know how to stop it because I'm just in so much pain. I'm so sad and I'm hurting tremendously. And I don't know how to respond to his behaviors appropriately. And I, and you just see his sweet little face. You get so sad when I'd scream at him. I'm like, I can't do this. Like, I don't know. 
So yes, to lo extremely long story, I, um, I've been really working on that area in my life because solo parenting has not uh, come to me naturally at all. I'm so glad that you guys are connecting. Mm -hmm. because <laughs> mm -hmm. Anita is <laughs> at the end of a rope like every day. All oh. the time. And yes. last night I was like really at the end of right. my rope. So mm -hmm. if you need some like tricks, I have some tricks. Like if you turn the power off to the whole house, <laughs> that makes them scream a lot, but it also makes them go to bed. Uh, so. I don't know. I don't know that that would work for my little guy. I think he would just need to be in. He likes to wake up at around one and say, mama's bed, mama's bed. I'm like, uh, oh, yeah. it's you're right it's mama's bed so you stay in your crib and I'm gonna do my thing over here but no it doesn't work like that yeah I'm I'm with you I sleep with at least two extra individuals in yeah. my bed well and I mean it, you know again it's something that we rarely talk about is their grieving process and he was yeah. only 14 months old everyone wanted to say that he wasn't grieving. And yet he was, I have a picture. I'll have to show you both. He was pulling Kevin's jackets out of his closet and on them. And he was asking for him all the time. Mm. He could recognize a white Tundra, the coffee machine. He still calls the garage Dada's garage. He says Dada every time we close the garage, you know, to say that children that age don't grieve is BS. And he is, I still think he's grieving, you know, but um, especially in the beginning. And then in the beginning too, I don't know, Anita, about your kiddos, but he was so needy. If I left the house, it was like World War Three. I mean, it was, and it was mm -hmm. treacherous. Like I didn't want to leave because he's screaming bloody murder. And the last thing you want to do is leave your child when they're in such distress. Yeah. And then you're, you feel trapped because you're like, oh, I yeah. can never get what I need because I'm responsible for your needs yep. and you're hurting. And yep. you know, it's like this whole, oh, yeah. it's a very difficult thing. Yes, Mel. Ah. Teachers, I have a question. <laughs> yes. So, so Lauren, you mentioned that there were not really resources to help you in this new journey of solo parenting, like you mentioned when you went to the pediatrician, they're like, we'll take care of right. yourself. Have you found anything that's helpful? Like, are there resources out there? Or nonprofits are there. Anything. The Dougie Center is a nonprofit that I would highly recommend. However, I do think that their resources still um, are geared more towards, you know, older children. I really haven't found anything that's geared towards infancy and toddlers, with the exception of just like toddler coaching and parent coaching, nothing specific to widows because you're not just, and I shouldn't say just, just is not the right word, but you're not getting a divorce where this is like something that's been like talked about and you still have another parent for the most part that's like willing to participate in parenting. No, like you're literally, you're, this chapter is force closed upon you. You do not have a teen parent anymore and you're doing all this on your own and you're just in the absolute trenches and you're expected to take care of you and your children. And they're really, there's just not much out there. So I have found a lot of toddler pages, like I said, Instagram pages and um, some coaching pages that I have followed, but nothing specific towards uh, the widowed mother. Speaking of widowed mother, my four-year-old is outside my door right now asking <laughs> if he can light a candle. Oh. So mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I'm like, no, don't light anything on fire. <laughs> So I am super curious. Did you finish your master's degree? I did. So I 
three oh. weeks left and I had become really close with three women in my program and I had finished my thesis really what needed to be done was my portfolio and to defend my thesis oh, and the school that I was going through allowed me to not have to defend my thesis because I did so well in the program and then the other three put my portfolio together for me I remember trying to do it I was like oh I got this it's okay I got it I was like, oh, no, no, I do not. I can't even like, no, I, don't I can't think this. of like one thing to put down on this piece of paper. I can't even figure out how to organize all this stuff. You're like, I don't even know what these papers right. are. If I wrote them, yeah. I do not recognize yeah, because, them. And then well, you're that's... like planning, uh, we were planning Kevin's celebration of life. We have people flying in yeah. from literally all over the world. I'm dealing with decedent affairs, which I mean, hello, that's another area that we just so struggle with, right? Like no one's coming and handing you like this paperwork for all the things that you need to do yet. You you have to go figure it out. You're already just like an absolute shit show. And here you are, you have no, like my mom was going and looking at checklists online and printing things out and like, oh, here are the things that we need to do. And I was just like, oh my gosh, I don't even, I don't even know where to begin. Yeah. And your brain is broken. And they're like, go figure this out. Go jump through all the hoops. And you have five days bereavement. We'll see you back in five days. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. This is what I imagine, if I can imagine for fun, what you're defending your thesis would have sounded like (laughs) if it had to happen. You would like stand up there and you would, they would ask you a question and you'd be like, my husband died. And then they would ask you another question and you'd be like, see answer number one. (laughs) And that's the whole thing. And then they would get to the end and they would be like, uh, she right, passes right. because whoa. Yeah. yeah, we're sorry for you. So you teach second. You teach second grade right now, right? right. And did you teach? Have you been teaching second grade this whole time? And so your master's is like additionally. So my master's is in educational leadership. So I had intended on going the principal route at some point, administrator route, I should say. Um, but my my life is just you know in in flex right now so I have no idea where where I'm headed in that regard but yeah was I I had been in the classroom for eight years at the time and I knew I wanted something a little different something a little bit more um I knew I wanted a leadership position and I just didn't really know exactly what I wanted that to look like so I decided when my son was four months old that I was gonna go and get myself a master's Yes. Yeah. Have Have you had kids in your classroom in the past that have had to mourn the death of a parent? Absolutely. And actually, right now I have a a little one whose dad died of cancer two years ago, and her mom is terminally ill. No. Oh, come on. Yeah, I know. That's I know. It was not. Not none of this is right. You just you, it brings your attention to that fact that life is not fair. And there are a lot of things in this world that just do not make sense. I was just going to say, there's so much pain, even besides death. It's just like you just scratch the surface and you'd think like, this is all stupid. Why are we even here? We're just here to be really sad. Like, all How do you help mm-hmm. or what are, what are some of your, I don't want to say tactics because that sounds so cold and unfeeling, but you have a whole class of kids and then you have a kid that's suffering. Mm-hmm. How do you go about that balance? How do you help that kid while maintaining balance with the rest of the class? Well, I am very open about Kevin's death. I don't go into specifics with them, but uh, I've found over the last nine years that many children experience loss, loss of a grandparent, loss of a parent, aunt, uncle. And so it was no 
it was no news to them that Kevin had died. Kevin's death was all over the news and it was uh, made brought to the whole school's attention when he died. So I didn't want to shove it under the rug and I wanted to be able to have an open conversation. And so I think having that open conversation with my students and allowing them to understand death, explore death with me, um, and to realize that I'm very empathetic and sympathetic towards their circumstances has made her, I think, a lot more open and feeling safe in my classroom. And then on top of that, we do have a school counselor that supports her and supports mom and really, you know, checks in weekly and all those kind of things. And I mean, they do have, um, they have her aunt lined up to take care of her when mom is no longer here. And I think that the counselor is trying to walk her through that. When Jason died, three of my kids were in school. I have four kids and three of them are in school. And my oldest one's teacher had the class all write her notes and like um, came in. They all three of the sixth grade teachers came and visited her and they were really sweet. And they had every write you know, condolence notes. And then my third child who was in um, first, first, first grade, I can't even remember at the time, she brought him a Build-A-Bear and it had like a heartbeat yeah. in it. And she like came and gave him a hug and it was so sweet. And my middle, my second son... His teacher didn't do right. anything. Well, and you it was, see, that's like the gamut of life, right? Like, I feel like you're going to yeah. experience every single walk of life and someone's going to do one of those things. Yeah, it was heartbreaking, though, because he watched those other two teachers and I could see it in his eyes that he was like, why didn't my teacher do that? And it wasn't anything that I could make up for because, and I was just like, what do I do? Right. You know, it was so, so, so painful. And he just internalized that. Like their teachers love them. My teacher doesn't love me. And the other thing that made me mad, side note, doesn't have anything to do with anything is the other two teachers were smart enough not to mark my kids absent. Like we know where they are. The, my one son's teacher marked him absent every single day and I had to call and excuse his absences every single day. And I was like, I do not need to be calling you to excuse his absence. You know where he is. Okay, right. rant over. Yeah. We can continue. Sorry. Mm -hmm. <laughs> now Lauren's like, and I'm a little afraid of her. I'm like, did I mark her absent? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> like, what did I do here? What was my... <laughs> Yeah. Now you have some tips on what not to do and it's don't mark them absent because you know where they are. Anyway, you said that you've got a lot of close family and friends. Do you want to tell us what things people were able to do for you that was really helpful yeah, absolutely. in the early days and then actually even in the now days too because I'm interested mm -hmm. in that too. Yeah. So I have been extremely fortunate because I I know, speaking to other widow sisters, that life does not look like this for everyone. So Kevin and I both had a huge community. I mean, 600 people attended his celebration of life. And so I had people show up from the cycling community, from the teaching community, um, you know, my family, my friends, and my dad's best friend actually started a GoFundMe. And I struggled with that. Oh, that was very, very humbling. I'm like, I don't want help. I don't, you know, I don't need help. And he's like, you need to let the pride go and really ask yourself, like, what is life going to look like you look like for you without Kevin's financial support? You know, you still own a home, you still have all these bills to pay. So he set up a GoFundMe. My mom and my best friends 
set up a Google calendar for the first six months and someone rotated through my house every single night to spend the night. COVID kind of fizzled that out, but I had about four months of people staying with me every single night to help take care of my kiddo and myself and just to be there with me and to sit with me and listen to me or just allow me to cry. Um, And then my mom and my sister continued that on uh, much further. I had teacher friends create meal train. They reached out to all of my students, parents, they helped, you know, make meals. And that went on for same thing, about four months, meal trains. Um, I would have people show up, drop a coffee off at my doorstep and just say like, I'm not here to chat. You know, I just want to drop off a warm drink to you. I love you. I will talk to you soon. I'll check in with you. Um, Oh gosh. I mean, again, I, I just, I was so, so lucky. I had a girlfriend of mine send me a weighted blanket. I'm like, what is this noise? Oh man, that thing is magic. I've, I've even shared about that on my Instagram account. I'm like every one of us needs a weighted blanket and I'm tiny. I'm five foot two. She got me a kid's weighted blanket perfectly. Um, but I had people just listening to me talk about Kevin. I had people that would just sit in my pain and they would show up and they weren't afraid to show up. They weren't afraid to show up imperfectly because this is messy and we're uh, grievers are going to make mistakes and the people supporting us are going to make mistakes. My sister said like something foot in mouth in the beginning. and was just like so embarrassed. I think it was like we were out to breakfast and she said something like, well, the upside is that you don't have to pay for two meals. And then she was like instantly. And she and my, my uh, husband were like, tight thick as these they were like brother and sister and I just her face went white and was just like oh my god you know but it's like again she's showing up she's there for me she's trying to make something light that's so dark that's so heavy um you know and it's kind of true right right right. yeah yeah yeah. I mean no but not wrong it's not she's not (laughs) wrong wrong. wrong. (laughs) um but just people that were not trying to fix or mend you because you're not broken. Grief is a natural process. It is a natural response to loss and there is nothing to be fixed. It's to be sat with. And I think those people, I, I just had so many people in my life that even if they didn't know what to do or how to do it, they just, they showed up anyway. And that was such a game changer and super, super helpful. And also I think one of the most helpful things for me above all of that was I actually went out of my way to connect to the widow community and to, I had two women reach out to me almost instantly after Kevin was killed. Uh, One whose husband was killed like the exact same way. And then another whose husband was a firefighter killed in a local fire. And they both lived locally and they were just like, whatever you need, you don't even know us. It doesn't even matter. Trust me, we're all sisters now. Like we've got you and this is what your next few weeks are going to look like. And you're going to just be an absolute disaster and you're not going to know up from down and we've got you. So that was huge, 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 huge for me that someone, you wake up speaking a whole nother language and now all this you're connecting yeah. to people that speak that language with you and will share some of your darkest moments with you and understand just like you're saying, just making jokes because at some point you have to laugh, right? And um, yeah. they get it. Yeah. And you kind of, we talk about this sometimes, like you you sometimes have to be part of the club to be able to say those things. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You're joking from a place of knowing and not from a place of... Right. And I think so, you know, because people get freaked out. I mean, 
And I still feel this way. And Anita, I'm sure you feel like this too. Mel, do you have kids? Okay. So no. I told my sister back to my, my poor sister. She's going to be listening to this podcast. I'm like, what are you doing? Out of the bus? <laughs> okay. What's your sister's my name? Sister's name's Audra. Hi, Hi Audra. Audra. And she just had a okay, little baby. Going. So now she gets it. But before she did not have a baby. So after Kevin was killed, I instantly was like, I will, I will die if something happens to my son. Like I'll die. White flag, life is over. And she would be like, stop talking like that. Like you're always the person to talk people out of, be, you know, of, of that kind of dark space that they're in. Like, it's my turn. I'm going to talk you out of that. And I'm like, you don't get it. And then I went out to dinner with my two widow sister girlfriends, Amanda and Shanna. And I start sharing the story with them and they just start laughing. They're like, oh yeah. Like, I remember saying, like, I was going to go stand in front of a train. I couldn't handle this life, you know, like, whatever. And that people are just like, you need to, you need to call a hotline. Like, you need to, you know, so, I mean, and, and I get it. Again, like, genuinely concerned for you. But, like, when you are with the your widows, you're like, okay, like, you do want to live. You do want to be here. But, like, something catastrophic has happened to you and to think that even one more thing could happen, it it would like implode you as a human being. And people, yeah. even who love you, well, because they love you, they're terrified to even hear stuff like that come out of your mouth. And I think that's what, you know, finding that community and that connection to people that understand that depth of pain is, is something that is, um, it really is priceless. Yeah, I remember feeling so relieved when, um, oh, widow friend that I met early on when I texted her because I think it's totally normal to have thoughts of suicide after something like this and it's just like you're saying people are like no 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 and I remember feeling so relieved when I texted her how I was feeling and she didn't try and talk me out of it and she was like it's normal to have those thoughts you know what I'm saying and I just felt like like I didn't have to defend my thoughts right. and again it wasn't there's a difference between having those thoughts and making a plan and things like that but just to have somebody who's like absolutely of course you're having those thoughts it I mean why wouldn't you have those thoughts yeah. right now? And it made me feel so much better. Yeah. I, I always go back to Megan Devine, the author, author of It's Okay That You're Not Okay. And she says everything inside of grief is correct. And it's true. And I think that we so, it can be such an isolating feeling. You can feel so alone with these thoughts. And if you're not talking to people about them, you think that you're the only one thinking this and that there's something wrong with you. And you're that it's bad. You're bad, you know? Um, and I think, you know, as time goes on, you want to find things that are helpful and not hindering, but in the beginning, when you're just surviving it, you're going to have every thought imaginable in your mind, every thought. One of my really good friends, she lost her first son. Um, he was stillborn. And actually, that's not true. He wasn't stillborn. He was born and then died within like the first few minutes of life. And that has sat with her for over 20 years. And she told me that she just couldn't stand when people were serving you the platitudes, right? Like, she's like, I'm here for you. This sucks. Like, I want to take it all back for you. I hate it for you. Like, it's not okay. And I think people don't want to tell you that because they want to be like a beacon of light for you, but you're not in that space yet. You're not ready for that yet. So like, just sit there and be okay with saying it sucks. 
and here's a donut and you don't have and to here's eat a donut. it. Funny too. I have this thing about donuts. I always, I've, uh, I don't even eat donuts. I don't even know where this comes from, but um, <laughs> you were saying like, you know, baby steps. And I say that too, baby steps, deep breaths. But I also look at grief, like, like eating a donut. You cannot shove that whole thing in your mouth, right? Like you're taking baby bites of this donut. Wait. You can't. Wait. <laughs> I mean, it's a donut. Hole. She's not talking about the donut. Right. Oh, <laughs> right. Okay. Sorry, I had my donut. <laughs> it just made up. me think of that when you said donut. I was. I just. You know, it's this. It's this huge mountain to climb, and we're looking at the top, and we're not going to get there tomorrow. We're not, and especially in the beginning, um, you know, life just looks so grim, and and all all you can do, all anyone can do for you, is just be there. Yeah. I always say that um, when people, when their intention, when they say something to you is to fix it, there's nothing (laughs) you can say that fixes it. You can't make me feel better. The only thing that you can say to me is, I see you and I love you. And that's like, that's where it needs to end and not trying to give you a reason or, you know, not trying to fix your feelings because nobody can do that. Yeah. I think my advice to our fellow widows and widowers is that you will survive. It does not feel like you will, and it's okay for it to not feel like you will. Um, But as time moves forward, you realize that it gets lighter and you still have heavy days, but uh, things start to become joyous again, because in the beginning, it's, it's not, it's not joyous. You, you don't, I mean, I remember even seeing like some other widows who were a little bit farther out than me and they were having, posting things about gratitude. And I'm like, ugh, how could you even do that? How dare you? Uh, You know, there's nothing to be grateful for. So I think knowing you're going to survive, feeling it all, do not push that grief away because it's going to come up within you at some point, whether you, you deal with it today or you deal with it two years from now, like your grief wants to be seen. It wants to be felt. It wants to be heard. That pain that you're dealing with is totally normal. Um, everything that you're feeling is correct. Like I mentioned before, um, and connect, connect, ask for help, meet other widows. It doesn't matter, you know, if you're not ready to meet widows in the first few weeks, then, then wait, but, but when the time is right for you, you'll feel it, you'll know, and you'll, you need to connect. I feel like that has been, I say it's a tribe that no one should be a part of, but it's necessary for survival. Once you're in it, it just, it really is. I mean, they're, they're some of my, the ultimate life, life vests, that's for sure. Um, and then for our grief civilians, I had just said, show up. I like to say showing up costs you nothing. And if you don't show up, it costs you everything. Right. I, we do have a few of Kevin's really close friends who just disappeared. And in the beginning, it was absolutely devastating. It was just another loss. And it was purely because they could not handle their discomfort around death and grief. And that would be my other, that would be another piece of advice for our civilians is get comfortable with being uncomfortable death and grief our society has created those things to be uncomfortable and you're going to have to learn to sit with that if you want to support someone who's who's grieving a, a loss such as a loss of a spouse or a child and show up imperfectly make the mistakes it's okay to make the mistakes um don't give the platitudes 
You know, no one wants to hear everything happens for a reason. God needed him more. They lived a full life in their 36 years. No one wants to hear that. Now, my sister would say, well, some people who are more religious might want to hear something like God needs them more, but typically they still don't. And even if they do, then know your audience. If you know someone well enough to know that that's going to provide them peace and comfort, then do so. But otherwise, leave it at the doorstep. Come in, tell them it sucks show up for them. And, um, I think the last thing for them, I would say too, is, well, not the two last things would be allow the person to share their stories about their, their significant other. And then you share the stories. You're not reminding us they're dead. We are very well aware that they are dead. So, you know, take the time. I've had so many people share. We created a book, um, of stories about Kevin and it's so beautiful. And it's just amazing to see what people, had to say about him and how they felt about him. It's just something that has been, again, another priceless thing. And then last, grief doesn't have a timeline. And please. It's so annoying. I know, <laughs> I know you know, you, you date too soon or you don't date soon enough or you should be over this. Or I, my dad even had someone tell him I should sack up. It's been time. She's been 14 <gasps> months. She needs to sack up. And you're just like, wait, Como? Like, I don't even, what, what does that look like? What does sack look like? I mean, I'm going to work full time. I pay my mortgage. I pay all of our bills. I'm taking care of a child. And again, it's just like stuff like that, where people put their own lived experiences that are not, that have nothing to do with a loss like this on you. And they expect you to look like them. And it's not like that. You know, the five stages of grief, they don't speak to everyone. They weren't meant for grievers. They were meant for the terminally ill. And, you know, don't open a book up on the five stages of grief and be like, oh yeah, okay, you should be going through anger right now. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, you're still in shock and numbness. All right, well, acceptance should be right around the corner. Like, no, it's not gonna happen. So, you know, and it's not linear. I had someone say like, oh, hopefully time will, um, we'll just take this all away for you. Time heals all wounds. And it's like, well, time, time creates a little scar tissue, but time does not just like heal everything back to what it once was. It, it's not ever gonna be what it once was. So I love the comparison Amen. to scar tissue. It's my favorite because I do wound wound care. And so I'm like, scar tissue, right? Like this is the biggest it's wound. So true. You have a gaping hole in your heart and it's never going to come back and be what it was before. And the thing I love about the scar tissue ana analogy is that scar tissue remodels. So first you put down a scab and then that scab remodels into skin. And even that skin starts to remodel and it takes years and years and years for that for that new skin to grow into the strongest it's going to be. And you don't see a lot of that remodeling. It's not visible to the eye, but that's why your scar goes from purple and raised to white. But you always have that scar. It's never going to be native skin ever again. It will always be scar tissue. And at some point in time, it's going to be pretty strong, but it's going to take years of remodeling. And a lot of that has to happen within and it's not visible. And for a lot of people, it looks healed. As soon as it's covered, they think it's all well, the good. Second you smile, the second you smile and yeah. show some sense of joy. Kevin's mom has mentioned that so many times. Like, I think people just think that like, I've moved on from my son. I've, I like, I still have so much pain and suffering internally, but the second you smile, people go like, Oh, she's okay. Yes. We're good. Everybody's good. Oh, and that would be my other thing too. Like when you show up, 
don't just show up for a month. Don't just show up for six months, like show up forever, show up for good. Like we want you there. We want you to be a part of our life. And, you know, um, you have people that are showing up with the hot meals and coming to the ceremony and the celebration of life. And then you're like, wait, where did you go? It's been 15 months now. And you're not here. Like one text message every like five months, just like, Hey, thinking of you. Well, I mean, some people that's fine. You got to weed out, you got to weed out some of them if that's how they're going to show up for you. But I think for a lot of people, it's because they want to be there. They just, they, they let their, thoughts and their insecurities get in the way of just, you know, coming and being a part of your life. That was amazing. Yes. <laughs> Mic drop. The end. Yes. <laughs> Mel, do you want to ask the most important of all of the questions? This is a question that is very near and dear to our hearts. It's very serious. Okay. So think about this. Don't take it lightly. Don't answer wrong. Don't answer wrong. <laughs> but you'll be dead. To okay. us. What is, what is your favorite kind of cheese? Assuming that you like cheese and you have dairy. And if you do not have dairy, what's your favorite vegan cheese? Well, you're, you guys are going to make this really hard for me because Kevin was like a cheese connoisseur. And I can't <laughs> even feel like I can say definitively that I have one. I instantly sharp cheddar, love sharp cheddar. But then I have like Agreed. goat cheese and feta and oh gosh, I mean, Gruyere. I can't, I literally can't think of, uh, let's just stick with sharp cheddar. Thank you so much for joining us, Lauren, and telling us your story and also sharing your wisdom. If you guys want to find Lauren, tell us what your Instagram account is. It is I'm sorry we're friends. Oh, yeah. I know. Which is so, so true, true right? right? So connect with Lauren there. Um, she's just become part of the Widow Wives Club. So if you want to connect with her there, you can also, yeah, chat with her there. Remember to check out our Patreon. It's <laughs> patreon.com slash wwdn you could or and or you could buy us tacos at buy me a coffee slash widow we do now or not remember to check out the <laughs> widow wives club and until we talk to you the next time i'm anita i'm mel and lauren and we're just two young widows and somebody who is being treated like a prisoner of war sometimes and we're just trying to figure out widow we do now This is my favorite thing to discuss with you. Tell me, what one, is it? One of my favorite things. I do enjoy tacos and cheese and dogs. This is about how you cannot pay hundreds and hundreds of dollars for a phone plan, especially when you're a widow, your person is dead, you might have kids, you might need another option, and you just want your phone to work, you want unlimited texting and service, and you want it to be like 25 bucks a month. It blows my mind that they have plans that start at $15 a month. That is so cheap. And the cool thing is, is it uses other 5G networks. And so you don't have to pay extra for that. And you still get great service. Yep. Anita and I have traveled all over and I have used my phone. So I highly recommend it. And my mom's even on it. When my dad died, we put his phone down to the cheapest plan, which is $15 a month. And I think my mom's on the $20 a month plan and it's so worth it. It's so much cheaper than what we were all paying before. So I highly recommend it if you're on a budget or not, who cares? Ryan Reynolds is in charge of the company and they send you free stickers with Ryan Reynolds temporary tattoos. It's kind of the best. So if somebody wants to sign up, what can they do, Anita? Go to trymintmobile.com slash WWDN. Seriously, you guys, such a great idea. Save yourself some money. 
And if you're worried about losing data or having any changes with your phone, not going to happen. They walk you through it. Everything's fine. It's the easiest process of all time. Again, that's trimintmobile.com slash WWDN.